I want to read to you a passage from John. And I want to begin with this. It's 1 John chapter 3, and I'm just going to talk my way through the message this morning. If it don't come up clear, don't worry about it. I'll be, I'll be, have you got it? Because I'll be past this in a minute. It's all right, love. It's better read. Here we are. It begins with the word see. And that's what I want to think about this morning. That word see. See what great love the Father has lavished upon us. That we should be called children of God. And that's what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it didn't know him. Dear friends, now that we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known, but we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we will see him as he is. Isn't that an outstanding passage? Brilliant. What do I see in this passage? Number one, what is it I see? I see the great love, not just ordinary love. The Bible says the great love of my father. I see the extravagance. This is not just a normal dad. This is an extravagant. God, and it says that lavishes upon us, which means layer after layer after layer after layer. I am by birth a child of wrath, but now I've been relabeled, identified as a child of God, named by Him, claimed by Him called by him. What do I see? Great love, extravagant, lavish application of it, re-identification. I am a child of God. Where do I see this? Where do I see this passage at work? I see it all around me. I see with new eyes. I see that my status has changed. I see in my choosing, I see in my provision, I see in my protection, I see in my security, I see in my provision, I see in everything around me the greatness of God. I see him, I see him. How do I see it? How do I see it? Come with me for a moment. We switch on to see the ITV news. But what we catch is an advert just before the news. And this advert, something to do with the best looking people on planet Earth. People are in the 20s and the 30s. And they're on the beach. And they're enjoying their holiday. And they surf. And it's a holiday program selling something or other. And their models are out there 
doing their business and you think, how beautiful is youth? Then the news comes up. And it just so happens that there are a couple on this news item that are 110 years of age. And they're sat together. And as they're sat together, what do I notice? They're looking a bit like me. I notice that the chin's gone. The neck's gone. The eyes are going. The wrinkles are coming. It's all there. And everything below, that's the best bit, everything below has gone completely. <laughs> A long time ago. And I see them sat in two old peoply chairs and they're holding hands. And the interview is saying, how is it that you've managed to be married for 60 years? And they say, because we love one another. And we love one another more now than when we first met. And I say to myself, all I can see is drooping eyes, wrinkles, chin gone, neck gone, big ears, you know, thin hair, all gone. What do they see in one another at that age? They see differently. They see through the incredible eyes of love. They don't see the wrinkles, the aging. They see beyond. They have new eyes to see. How I see this passage with my heart. I see it with my spirit. I see it with my senses. I see it with knowledge and experience. I see Jesus. When I see Jesus, I'm not thinking, what is the color of his skin? When I see Jesus, has he got a Jewish nose? Hasn't he got a Jewish nose? What kind of hair? I see him spiritually open the eyes of my heart, Lord, that I might see you. I don't see a physical Jesus, but I see him. I see him. And I see this amazing God, this God that's lavished such love upon me, this Savior of such fun and joy and laughter and surprise and satisfaction. I see this, and I see that our church gatherings should reflect this. I see that when we come together, we're living and enjoying and demonstrating to one another, and when we worship and when we praise, we're shouting and declaring the evidence of and experiencing the lavish love of our God. I see his great love that I've birthed in, born into, living in. This is a celebration of the Jesus that we know. And people say, why did he do that? What, why are they a happy, clappy church? 
What is it about them? Why do they want to make so much noise? Why is the bouncer allowed? Why is it? Because we see Jesus with our spiritual eyes and our spirits explode. We're overwhelmed. We're in awe. This is no normal gathering. This is no normal church service. This is no normal hymn, prayer, notices, service. This is an experience of God. I watched the other night, I've mentioned this guy before, I don't mean to say I'm a fan of this guy, but I'm amazed at this guy, Andre Rio. And if you watch it on YouTube, wherever, go on to it and have a look and look at his night, A Night in Venice. It was on the other night on television. And I'm just staggered by the amount of people that come to his concerts. There are more people come to his concerts than ever been to any Elton John concert or any of the Beatles or anything. He has a record for singing, playing to the greatest, greatest audiences around the world. He's in his 70s, young 70, I think he's 71 maybe. I don't know, 70 something. And he has an orchestra and a choir and they live in the, the, the way beautiful dresses and clothes and so on. And they play the most wonderful music. You know, all your waltzes and so on. And there's the Johann Strauss Orchestra. And it's brilliant. And the sets are glorious. And hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people in the biggest auditoriums or out in the uh, market squares, hundreds and thousands of people are there watching it in awe. And they've all paid, because I've tried to get to one, they pay about £350 for a ticket to sit at the back. It's upwards of that if you want to go. And they're all paying the money and they're there. And so it looked to me as if they're all well-heeled and they're all dressed beautifully. And they're there for the experience of the music. And it goes on for two hours. And the fun and the laughter and the joy and the thing that music does in the hearts of people. And you'll see people crying in response to the music. They're laughing, they're dancing. It is amazing, a great experience. And they're doing it because he creates happiness and joy. He creates happiness and joy. Happiness, who is it that creates happiness and joy? It's not Andre Rio, it is my savior. My Savior, and we come together, there should be an outpouring of happiness and joy. And when we're driving home, this should have been a great experience. I don't want to get in the car and complain all the way home. I want to get in the car and say, what a great morning that was. The family of God. In Psalms... Psalm 22, I rejoiced with those who said to me, let's go to the house of the Lord. Our feet are standing in your gates, Jerusalem. The amount of people I tried to persuade to come to church with no success. If only someone would say to me, yeah, I'm coming and I'll rejoice with you. I will rejoice when they said to me, let's go to the house of the Lord. How did you get out of bed this morning? 
How did you decide to come to church? What did it feel like? Did you go, oh, I rejoice. I'm going to the house of the Lord. This is the day of the week. I had a friend in, in Bristol who pioneered and pastored the great church in Bristol, and he used to advertise in the local paper, uh, his church on Sunday, the best night in town. Every, every weekend in the paper, the best night in town. Ron Jones, what a great guy. And indeed it was the best night in town. So, I was sat with my little grandchild, seven years of age, two weeks ago. And the sun started coming out now, this time of year. And it begins at the front of our house, and it moves over midday and comes into the back garden. And as it begins to come over, because the sun's quite low this time, it, it blazes against the patio windows. And I'm sat with him, and I'm thinking... Those windows are filthy. I just can't believe it. Look at the muck on those windows. When I notice, because we've had people staying all Christmas and family, thousands of them, been coming over, all the grandchildren and so on, I've noticed there's handprints all over the window, the double glazing. Look at that. I said, look at this. this we've not cleaned the window. They're going to need cleaning. And my little boy, I said, I said, I said, uh, Luke, look, look at those handprints, because I'm sure that he's up there as well. And, he's, and I said, Gandhi's going to clean those windows. He says, no, don't clean them, Gandhi. You can sit here and look at your grandchildren every day, seven years of age. And I thought, handprints of my children living in South Africa and living down in Bude and around... They're a living portrait, memory, handprint, fingerprints of my glorious grandchildren that I love. I just love. Now, what do I see when I look at those windows? Now, filthy windows? No. I see fun and laughter and love and experience that I have with my grandchildren rolling around, fighting on the floor, hugging one another. Those handprints mean something more to me now because I see them with different eyes. The handprints of God are all over you. They're over your life. They're over your experience. They're over your longings and your dreams and your aspirations. They're over your provisions. The handprints of God, I love you. I'm going to die for you. I'm going to send my son to die for you. I want you in my family. You will not pay the price and the penalty of sin, the rejection of me. I'm going to send my son to do it. That's how much I love you. Handprints, the fingerprints of God, our Savior, all over us.
passage this morning is this. Hebrews chapter 12. Therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders us and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race that's marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith. For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross and scorning its shame, sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endures such opposition for sinners so that you may not grow weary and lose heart fix your eyes on Jesus that passage follows one of the greatest passages in the book of Hebrews the passage that's most regularly preached about and taught in the church there are so many books and pamphlets written on Hebrews 11 it's called the faith chapter it's all about faith Faith, it says. Faith is being confident in what we hope for and what we do not physically see. That's what Hebrews 11 teaches us. Faith, Hebrews teaches us, is understanding that the universe was formed by the command of God. That's what faith teaches us. The Bible tells us without faith... It's impossible to please God. Then it begins to point out various people. That's why Noah built an ark in the middle of the desert. Because he believed God that it was going to be flooded. And And the ark would be a place of rescue. It was because of faith that Abraham, listening to the call of God, left his home and his own land. And went to a place he didn't know because God said go. And it says this place he was going, the architect and the builder was God. And he went to that promised land. By faith Moses brought up as a royal in the house of Pharaoh with all the privilege and the future, and the riches surrounding, and the status, and gave it all up because he recognized that his true people were the people that were slaves in this land. And God said to him, Moses, come to me. I'm going to send you back to these people. You're going to set them free. And by faith, he embraced the vision to do the impossible. He did it by faith. But out of that passage in Hebrews, there's been many formulas of how we live by faith. Name it, claim it. If you believe it, if you speak it out, it'll happen. Whatever you, whatever you want, whatever you do, whatever you in my name, it's yours. But the finish of this passage is, because of all these people of faith... Because of all these martyrs that went before, therefore, we are now surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. 
the ones that have gone before, people of this generation, people who've died since this, who've gone to glory. We are surrounded as in on a racetrack and in a coliseum. We are surrounded by a great crowd of witnesses witnessing our faith. We are saved by faith. The faith that is within us, the faith that is active, the faith that makes us work, the faith that causes us to believe in God, the faith that causes us to see Jesus. So you're surrounded by these witnesses. So let's throw off everything that hinders us now and the sin that so easily entangles us and let's begin to run this race with perseverance because it's marked out for us. And how do we do that? How do we run that race? This is it. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Not on faith. Not on the people that have run before. Not on the crowd of witnesses. Take your eyes off that. Take your eyes off the issue. Take your eyes off the problem. Take your eyes off what's happening. Take your eyes off the wars and every, the rumors of wars and everything that's happening. There is only one solution. Fix your eyes on Jesus. For your life, for my life, for our future, for my children, for my grandchildren, I need to fix my eyes upon Jesus. I need to see him in a new way with spiritual eyes. So, holy brothers and sisters, fix your eyes upon Jesus. When I was young, girl, I confess that I am not very dexterous. Um, my mum is fairly clumsy, and she doesn't walk in a straight line, and she walks from side to side. She's in glory now. Doesn't matter. But she just kind of bumped into things. She just bumps into things. And she's a danger, used to be a danger when she set off at the, the curbside, the side to cross the pavement, to go to the pavement across the road. It was a danger. She'd run in front of traffic. She's just kind of impulsive, erratic, but has no kind of movement or grace and sense of balance and coordination. I come from quite a sporty family, except I've inherited from my mum <laughs> her characteristics. I'm clumsy, and I don't have a lot of grace in my movement. I try, and I'm not a very good dancer. Do you want me to demonstrate that? I am not a good dancer. I just, I mean, there's granddad dancing and there's granddad dancing. I'm in a category all of my own. I just do not to do, I do not know what to do with my hands. And I mean, when I get dancing in the spirit, you, you want to just stop and have a laugh because it's weird. It's just strange. And this is me. And so, because I'm like that, all, all, I wasn't in the football team particularly and so on. And, and, and people were like, look where you're going. Just look where you're going. My dad just said, look where you're going, Claude. Because it's bumping into things. I decided that um, the other day I was going to Bridgewater. Uh, and, and I was going to Bridgewater and there are two lanes coming from Taunton into Bridgewater. In fact, there are three lanes. There might even be four. But I want to turn right. There are two lanes that turn right. 
and I'm debating something with Sue. And I, I, I talk too much, I know that. And I'm debating something with Sue. And I'm turn right. I go on the outside lane and I turn right. And as I turn right, I turn left into the, into the lane that I'm going to go straight on. And as I'm turning left, all of a sudden there's a great noise behind me and somebody's on the horn beeping me. I turn around and I say, I think it's a Mercedes. Am I bothered? And he's honking his horn at me. And of course, I hadn't seen him. Claude, look where you're going. Now, I've passed an advanced driver's test because I don't look where I'm going. And I studied it and I passed it. Police tested. Then I got a motorbike and I've passed the test on that to be an advanced motorcyclist. Look where you're going. And there's something. When they teach you to ride a motorbike, you'll probably know this if you ride an ordinary bike. There I am, I'm on the handlebars, got this huge, great motorbike. And one of the keys is, look where you are going. Out there is a danger field. Everything is a hazard, and every other motorist is a hazard to you. Look where you're going. And when you're going along the road, keep away from the manholes. You know the manholes in roads? Because they're made of metal. Keep away from them, because you'll slide on them. Look out for planks of wood. Look out for branches. Look out for people. Look out for corners. Look out, look out. But when you see one, don't look at it anymore. Don't give it a second look. Because if you're looking, and this happened to me the other week, I was out on my motorbike, and I was on a tight corner, and I saw a van wanting to get into this corner, and they were just approaching the corner from a side road, and I got my eyes on him, and because I got my eyes on him, I didn't take the corner proper. But I was going fast, and my back wheel skidded round. Oh, I shouldn't be telling my wife's listening. <laughs> the back wheel skidded round, and I thought, I'm coming off here, and I just corrected it, and we're up and away again. Because if there is a plank in the road, and I'm thinking, I need to miss that plank, you can guarantee, because my eyes are fixed there, that's exactly where I'll ride the bike. I'll hit it. If it's a stone, I'm trying to miss it, I'll hit it. If it's the corner, I'm trying to keep away from the curb. If I've got my eye on it, I'll hit it. The bike will go where you are looking. I say to you this morning, you will go where you're looking in life. Fix your eyes where? On Jesus, not on my debt. Not on my pension, not on my next door neighbours, not on my career, not on the hassles around me, not on the sicknesses and, and all the rest of it, and not on my age, not on my retirement, not on. Fix your eyes on Jesus, because that is where you're going to go. Author and the finisher of faith. I look, another, another five minutes, eight minutes. I love, I love to hold my children when they were babies. I love babies. I just like babies. And uh, I mean, I'd have had 20, we could, in our family. We had to say no, but I was going for 20. And, but I love to hold my children. And do you know, the moment when they, when you, they're looking into your eyes, 
And that wonderful, the baby's just looking into my eyes. And we've got contact. And to see a mother and a baby is the most wonderful thing. Because as she looks into the baby's eyes, and the baby looks into the mother's eyes, the baby can't do much other than cry and feed and look. And looking into the eyes of the mother, that baby's seen security, warmth, comfort, provision, everything. The mother looks into the baby's eye and she can tell instinctively by looking at that baby's eyes what that baby wants, needs, what it's saying. There's a look of love. There's a look of communication. She knows when that baby wants food. I can see it. She knows when that baby wants to go to sleep. She can see it. She knows when the baby goes, ooh, 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 and warm tones between the two. It's all in the eyes. The language is in the eyes. My headmaster used to say to us at school, and he pumped this into us, he says, you're as good as your shoes. And he said, he said, people make an assessment upon you and will do by the shoes that you're wearing. He says, when you get dressed in the morning, you get dressed from feet upwards. He says, and when people look at your shoes, it's the very first thing they look. Bottom up. Your face is the last thing that people look at. And when you go for an interview, they'll notice what shoes you've got on. In shoes, they will be able to assess your status, your sense of style, your attention to detail, and so on and so on. Shoes are important. I say eyes are important. And when I see somebody and talk to somebody, I don't look at the shoes, I look at their eyes. Because within eyes, they say everything. And I can tell when a person hasn't met the eye of the mother or the father when they're young and developed all that eye communication that matures and grows and develops. And there's something missing. Can read a person's personality by looking in their eyes. I used to joke with uh, somebody in our church, and I still do every time I meet him now, it's a big problem to me in my church. And he was the most mischievous guy. Loved him to bits. He was always causing trouble wherever he went. If anything went wrong, it'd be him. It'd be, it'd be Ashley. Those are problems. And he used to say, come here, you. Let me have a look in your eyes. And I said, say, what are you looking at? I said, give me a minute. It's going to take me a time. I'm counting the demons. <laughs> You've got 25 demons. I'm going to deal with them one day. Eyes. Eyes. Where do you want to go in life? Finishing up. Where do you want to go in your life and in your love? In your ministry? Your family? The years that are in front of you? Where do you want to go in eternity? How are we going to deal with this war that's going on? How are we going to deal with the 
debt that's rising. I've just landed on my doorstep. My council tax has gone up. My providers have already told me that my electric and my gas is going to be, for me, stratospheric. Everything's going up. Bread's going up. Milk, milk's going up. It's all going up. How am I going to deal with being all alone? And Sue and I have already talked about first one to go. What will it be like? What do I do when I feel desperate? And often I do and I cry for help. And it gets to the end of the line those last years. Maybe I'm in an old person's home or how it ends up. How is it going to be? How am I going to deal with it? Fix your eyes upon Jesus. Fix your eyes upon Jesus. My invitation to you this morning is do that. It's as simple as that. It's summed up in a few words. Repeat it to yourself many times a day until it's grooved in there. And I'm riding my motorbike, I'm saying, open your eyes, look at where you're going. And I repeat it. Look, don't look at the danger. Look where you're going. Look where you're going. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Father, this morning, Simply and graciously. Help us, Father, to turn our eyes towards you. When Mary was in anguish by the tomb and weeping, where have you laid, my Lord? When he heard a word, Mary, she turned and she saw Jesus. And Stephen, with a great crowd around him, wanting to take his life, and in a rage, we're going to stone him to death. With his mind's eye, he saw the heavens open, and Jesus at the right hand of God. And when John on the Isle of Patmos, on the Lord's day, imprisoned, heard a voice, turned and he saw when he turned he looked into the face of Jesus risen ascended and he saw glory and power and knowledge and the God who is everything and everywhere he saw faithfulness he saw goodness he saw gentleness he saw love joy Peace, purity, and holiness, humility, and courage, and wisdom, and compassion, and grace, and mercy, and one who was zealous for him. When you see Jesus, who do you see? What do you see? Give us a true vision, Lord, of yourself. Amen.